regardless of where you stand on the matter of data science sexiness, it's simply impossible to ignore the continuing importance of data as well as our ability to analyze, organize, and contextualize them. Data are changing how our businesses and societies function. They are being used to solve a ton of interesting problems and shaping the questions we can ask of the world around us. Hi, I'm James Lee, and this is Datacast. Join me for raw conversations with practitioners from the worlds of AI, machine learning, statistics, and data science. of Datacast. So today I'm on the line with Connor Dewey. He is a data scientist at Squarespace who spent his time thinking about growth and engagement. He frequently shares insights from his experience interviewing at top companies. Uh, more generally, he offers resources and advice on Medium and GitHub in the hopes of open sourcing his journey to data scientists. So Connor also managed a weekly data science newsletter with uh, more than a thousand subscribers. So yeah, Connor, welcome to the show. How's it going? Uh, happy to be here. Awesome. So um, I want to start out our conversation talking about your educational background. So I see that you got a Bachelor of Science degree in um, Computational Modeling and Data Analytics from Virginia Tech. So uh, can you describe your undergrad experience? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so coming into school, I had some experience with like basic math and I had some coding experience. So I came in under the engineering program at Virginia Tech, kind of like with my eye on computer science. Um, since the way they do it, uh, which actually was pretty influential to me, is the way they do it in the engineering program there is that you spend your freshman year like as a general engineering student. And it's not really until your sophomore year that you can apply for like a specific major within engineering. Um, and you have to apply against a bunch of other students. So if you don't like get a good enough GPA, um, then you essentially get like you don't make the cut for that major, um, and you have to take a different major. So like, it's definitely not ideal. Um, and coming in my freshman year, I very first semester I got like a two three eight, um, like really really bad. So I pretty much killed my chances of like getting into CS um, sophomore year. So I had to start looking other places, um, which actually led me to, we call it CMDA, so computational modeling and data analytics. Um, but more broadly, it led me to data science. Um, I always like read 538 and fan graphs um, and like was really into sabermetrics growing up. Um, so I kind of realized that that was more my thing anyway, and that like the intersection of statistics and coding and problem solving was more more kind of in line with what I enjoyed. Um, so yeah, like moving through my bachelor's, uh, just graduated in December. Um, after that transfer, I had to had to pick up some slack from that first semester, but, uh, but it all worked out. Mm -hmm. So um, what were some of the most um, useful courses that you know you took that um, now looking back, you think that prepared very well for a career as a data scientist? Yeah, so one that comes to mind here, um, it's pretty general, just like the 
computer science data structures and algorithms course. Um, how that worked out for me was, I think it was my junior year, um, junior, junior fall, I believe. Um, and it synced up with doing a lot of interview prep. Um, so if you've ever done like software engineering style interviews, um, leak code, whiteboarding, all that good stuff, um, cracking the coding interview, then you know that like a lot of those problems are like primarily data structures and algorithms. So while I was doing like a bunch of leak code problems, trying to like teach myself how to prepare for like the software engineering type interviews, um, I was also taking this data structures and algorithms course. So it created kind of a cool dynamic where like I was learning this stuff and like doing projects um, for like the coursework, but I was also like actually like needed that information and used that information for interview prep. Um, so that's one that stands out. And then um, there was an analytics and visualization course that I thought was interesting and a machine learning course towards um, the end of my college career as well. Um, but those, uh, those were both in are um mm -hmm. and more like had like an academic um lens behind them than more of like a practical approach um so i think that a lot of the uh stuff that prepared me was actually self-taught looking back so newsletters um online courses books things like that um i think were the most helpful for me as far as getting into data science as a career after your sophomore year, you got an internship uh, doing data analytics at MasterCard. So can you share a bit about that experience? Uh, yeah, so sophomore year, um, I applied for a bunch of internships. Um, this was actually the only offer I got. Um, and it was basically like a, a non-technical interview and then an offer. So it was actually like really lucky that I even um, got in when I did. Um, but... As far as the work goes, I was doing, I was working in R. Um, I was primarily looking at like historical data and trying to do a forecasting project. Um, so if I remember correctly, I think, I think I just like built out a regression model and built her out like a shiny app around it um, and then presented it to stakeholders. And that was like, that was like the 10 weeks there um, for me. But I think the more valuable thing was just like dealing with stakeholders, um, learning how to present analysis, learning how to like go through the like, process of like a tech project, um, actually in industry, like in practice with other people around you and collaborating and whatnot. Um, so I think that was like the most valuable takeaway there. Whereas the like skills and work I did um, since then, I think that's grown a lot more in other places. During your time uh, at Virginia Tech, you were also involved with the uh, Biocomplexity Institute as a computational research intern. Um, can you discuss some of your work uh, at that place? And your, uh, I guess also share like what is that um, institute does and your work, you know, as an intern there. Uh, yeah, so I was working with the Nutritional Immunology and Molecular uh, Medicine Laboratory. Uh, it's kind of a mouthful. But that was like a one semester part-time research kind of gig that I did my junior year. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually didn't get to dive into a ton of research during that uh, experience. A lot of it was onboarding. Um, I got to play around with some like agent-based bottling stuff, um, some visualizing things like immune system responses. Um, but 
I actually didn't end up continuing that past that semester because I was doing side projects and then also doing interview prep. So um, one like thing that looking back, I was actually grateful for was that taking on that experience forced me to kind of look at different projects and prioritize which one I was thinking, getting a better um, like return on investment mm-hmm. for. Um, and so kind of making that decision was hard at the time, but I think I'm, I'm glad that I ended up taking that on and realizing that I was overexerting myself and kind of refocusing after that. Yeah, you, you were very well known for a big list of data science internship job posting that you shared last year, I believe, on, on, on Medium. Um, so, you know, just kind of curious, how did your process of compiling this list? Um, yeah, so kind of taking a step back, um, I like really got into interviewing throughout college. Um, so I think freshman year, I applied for like 30 jobs, um, didn't get any offers. Sophomore year, I applied for like 80 jobs. Um, junior year, I applied for like over 200 um, and then full time around the same. Um, so I like really kind of developed this system around applying for lots and lots of jobs to try to maximize my chances. Um, I don't know if it was an ideal system, but it was one that uh, that worked out for me. Um, so basically what I did is I just kind of looked for all these job postings on LinkedIn and then I kept a uh, spreadsheet with like all the places that I applied um, the date, the company, and location, all like the general stuff. Um, and I think I would like rank each one, like one through five on interest, um, just to prioritize which ones you wanted to follow up with and things like that. Um, but yeah, so like I made this giant spreadsheet for all my internship searches, uh, which I highly recommend. But then when it came to actually like sharing this out later on, um, I realized that I had used a lot of resources from other people in the data science community to prepare and learn and kind of get to where I am. Mm-hmm. Um, things like newsletters and blog posts um, and online courses really kind of served as the backbone of like getting where I am now. So that kind of inspired me to share some of my stuff as well. So I just kind of reposted all of those like data science internships um, along with all of like the resources that I used to interview with. Um, and anything else that I thought would be helpful. Um, so that's kind of the, the premise behind trying to open source um, like the data, the data science journey um, because I think that it's easy to look at a lot of people with like masters and PhDs and think that that's the only way um, when in reality there's, there's a lot of different paths to get to a, a similar place. You did mention the fact that you, know, you apply to a lot, of, a lot of places and obviously like, you know, um, Go, going along with that is, is going to be a very high rate of, of uh, rejection, right? And you wrote a piece called um, Insights from Analyzing 80 Plus Job Rejection in Python, um, in, you know, in which you um, essentially take along all those rejections and did some analysis on that. And what I really like about reading this piece is that you, you know, in the conclusion, you said that, you know, uh, you get used to the notion of failure, and you know you become increasingly less hesitant to apply the position at prestigious company or co-email recruiters. So, so I think this is a very important uh, muscle to have, you know, as, as a job applicant, as someone who want to enter this field, because as, as the hub is there, and you know there's a lot of people who want to get into the field. Um, so, I guess you know describe your your process of working on this, this thing, and you know give some 
tactical advice for for people on how to deal with failure? Um, yeah, so like like you said, you apply for a lot of jobs, you're gonna get a lot of no's, a lot of rejections, like an overwhelmingly um, like high amount of no's. Um, obviously, that, that hurts at first. That's tough at first. Um, but like one thing I would use um, is I would like once you get numb to getting the rejections and you learn to deal with it and you kind of learn to cope with it. Um, you can actually use it as motivation. So I don't know if this is for everyone, but um, this, this was like helpful for me <laughs> during my search is that actually like um, early on, in, I think my junior year, whenever I got a like rejection email from um, a company, like early on in my process, I would print it out and like stick it on my wall in front of my desk um, until I had like a mini like wall of rejection emails, which is a little bit concerning for some people that saw that. Um, but for me, it was it was motivating, um, and it kind of like leaned into the concept of embracing failure as part of the process um, and like being okay with that and seeing that as just kind of something that happens um, and not taking it too seriously and keep moving forward to that ultimate goal. Um, so kind of that aspect of embracing failure got kind of put into this post. Um, I had all these emails from all these companies telling me that um, I wasn't good enough. So I kind of just scraped them um, and wanted to see if there's any interesting patterns there. And I think that um, more of kind of what resonated in people than the insights themselves is the kind of, um, the concept of leaning in and embracing failure as part of the process um, and understanding that and coming to terms with that, I think could be something of a, like a superpower. There's a, there's a good Ted talk on it. I think it's like 30 days of rejection or something, a hundred days of rejection. Um, but it's super interesting. It's basically this guy that just goes out and creates these situations for himself where he is like almost definitely going to get rejected every time. And he actually finds that sometimes, um, like out of nowhere he'll actually get these acceptances or these like yeses when he should get a no so it kind of goes to the idea of putting yourself out there taking the rejections and eventually uh good things happen you know there's a saying that is that you do not get what you deserve you know you get what you ask for and mm -hmm. unless you keep your throw yourself out there and keep uh keep asking for it you know you're not gonna and achieve what, what you want and you know this is obviously the case for not just like someone who, who wanted to do this field but generally like any sort of venture you know any technical field uh, in general so yeah I uh, definitely resonate a lot with, with um, some of your your learnings and, and, and your sharing um, during that summer before senior you finally land a data science internship uh, this time with a company called unity technologies out in the bay area um, so can you go over your, your experience, um, there? If you're not familiar with Unity, it's like a, it's a gaming engine, um, it powers most of the, like, mobile game phones, um, most of them are built with Unity today, I think. Um, so yeah, this was a, this was a pretty big deal for me. This was my first real, like, quote-unquote data science role, um, and getting to go out to the Bay Area, something I always wanted to do was, um, really a dream for me at the time um so within unity i was on the analytics team so basically like google analytics is for websites like developers can check to see how people are engaging and how much traffic they have on their website um video games like for unity have a similar similar analytics 
kind of suite that you can go in, you can see how people are playing with your game, you can see the traffic, you can see um, engagement, retention metrics, things like that. Um, so yeah, I was working within that analytics product team. And I'm not sure if I can speak to specific projects, um, but I know that like while I was there, my workflow looked pretty similar to what it is now with Squarespace. It was looking for things in SQL, um, then kind of exporting into a Jupyter Notebook, using Python, um, playing around with Spark a little bit, getting to use Airflow, mm -hmm. um, getting to push to production. These are all things that I hadn't really done within a company before this experience. And I think a lot of them reoccur um, throughout industry, industry in a lot of places. So getting exposed to all those technologies um, and getting exposed to working with stakeholders again, which is a big thing. Um, and then also being in the Bay Area, there's so many meetups and so many yeah. like people out there within the industry to learn from. I think that's that's invaluable in of itself. And in fact, you actually uh, wrote about your experience um, at Unity in another uh, piece called Five Lessons from a Data Science Intern at the Tech Unicorn. Can you uh, briefly go over these key lessons? Yeah, for sure. Um, so if I remember correctly, I think the first couple points, um, information isn't enough and the importance of empathy. These really have to do with communication and presenting analysis to stakeholders. Um, so like, it's kind of difficult when you're starting out um, to take these kind of in-depth, detailed, technical things and communicate them into easy, digestible insights or takeaways. So early on in my internship, I think I kept getting a lot of responses when I would present analysis, similar to like, what does this mean? Or what's the takeaway? Um, how do I interpret this? Things, things like that. Um, and that kind of put up a red flag for me that I needed to put in more work to be better at communicating my results. Because um, at the end of the day, if if no one can like understand your results and kind of translate it into something actionable, um, then your work will go largely unnoticed. It won't actually be, be put into action and you won't see that impact um, that you want to see. So learning to, to better communicate results um, and empathize with stakeholders and see things from their point of view and kind of look at like a deck or look at your presentation from their point of view beforehand, um, I, think, I think that goes a long way. The next thing was looking at things from a beginner's mindset. Um, so being in school, like kind of growing up, being in a similar place for most of my life, I think I was kind of in a bubble where I definitely came into the experience a bit overconfident. Um, when you get used to like thinking probably incorrectly that you're like, one of the like quote unquote smarter people in the room. Um, I think that's a is a dangerous habit. So going into a company with a bunch of like super intelligent people, being in an area where there's a bunch of people that are like the best at what they do, I think that's humbling. And then also doing work that I wasn't familiar familiar with or wasn't like necessarily necessarily adequate with. Um, I think that's humbling as well. So learning to adopt that beginner's mindset and being okay with asking like dumb questions, um, so to speak, and seeking out help and being able to learn from people. I think those were skills that I didn't have as good of a time doing prior to this internship. Um, and I think those were skills that were really, really fundamental for me to get the most out of that experience.
Next was trustworthy data analysis. Um, so this really came from a really, really good article. I think it was from Locally Optimistic, the data science blog, but I could I could be wrong about that. Um, but I reread this a couple times throughout the summer. And there's like a formula they lay out in this article where it's essentially like your overall analysis is equal to A plus B plus C, where A is the things that you present, whether it's in like a notebook or a deck. Um, then B is the work that you did, but wasn't like imperative enough to present. And then C was the work that you didn't like look into or didn't do. Those are the questions that you left unanswered. Um, and so like the goal here obviously is to do A in the most concise and concrete way, um, make sure your pre presentation is interpretable, and then do as much of B as possible so that you have all your bases covered and you've answered a lot of those questions that might come up. And then C, you want to minimize. You want to answer like as many questions as you can in the time frame that you think are important to that given problem. So I think looking at it through that framework was really helpful um, in kind of minimizing the number of follow-up questions where you're just saying, oh, I don't know, or I can look into that, or things like that. Um, I think that really came in handy. And lastly, challenge assumptions. So coming from an academic background, being in school, you have everything very structured. Everything's very laid out for you. Like if you're given a project, um, there's normally requirements, there's a rubric, there's like an agenda. Everything's very um, like point A to point B, very, very simplistic in that regard. But when you take on these projects in industry um, or even side projects have the same effect. They're very unstructured, very vague, and very complex. Um, so when you make these assumptions early in these kind of vague problems, it often leads to a lot of backtracking. Um, and like people like to call it pivoting, but it's really just messing up and having to redo work. Um, so I think that challenging these assumptions early and often and kind of spending more time in the brainstorming exploratory phase before you get into like the really concrete work I think that it's kind of difficult to do and it takes a lot of time early on and it can feel like you're kind of running in place. But at the end of the day, you, you save time um, and you normally come out with a better product for it. I see. Um, just quick to follow up question regarding some of those points. So unlike the, the part on uh, challenging assumption, um, I'm just curious that you have to like... Um, go around, talk with other data scientists or, you know, other people who may, maybe they work with it, the tools of the project that you are on, just to get round up on, on um, you know, the, the knowledge um, within that, uh, that, uh, that project. So, because, you know, you, you're trying to, to get as much information as possible, right, stick in that brainstorming phase, so, you know, um, you have to, like, talk to different people from different teams, etc. Yeah, I think that's a that's a huge part of it, um, and that's something that I definitely had to get better at, and I'm I'm still getting better at this today. This is something I struggle with, um, especially when you're more introverted um, and you don't want to you don't want to bug people around you. Like especially when you're like the intern in the office, you've only been there for like a month. Mm -hmm. um, you don't want to go around slacking or pinging everyone, asking them questions that are like insignificant to their day to day. Um, but like kind of getting used to this and developing. And being okay with that and realizing that um, if you're in the right work environment, then people are going to be happy, happy to help you. Um, they're going to 
be happy to provide you with information or any insights that they have on your problem. Um, so kind of getting over that, getting over that hump and being okay with just um, slacking or communicating with people around you, whether it's in your team or in other teams. I think that's really, really helpful um, and something that I'm trying to get better at. Um, and I think a lot of people are out there. I see. And to the fourth point on trustworthy data, data analysis. So, so uh, just to kind of rephrase you, so there's three three components, right? There's analysis that you want to present that is good enough, then the analysis that you know uh, that's not good enough that that um, that that um, should not be presented, and then the last one is the, the stuff you haven't looked into yet. What you know proportion? Of, uh, of the, these three com- key components, do you think is appropriate to allocate for, for that? Yeah, so it's definitely going to be specific to the problem, so it's kind of difficult to give a general rule. Mm-hmm. But and I've, I've I've written about this recently, and it's something that I'm still thinking about and still kind of exploring. Um, but I kind of like addressed this. I like wrote an article. It was titled "Minimum Viable um, Analysis." So. Like the premise there was that you want to like do with the bare minimum and then communicate back to your stakeholder and say, how do you feel about this? Like, does this answer your question? And then only based on that, should you go further um, and do deeper analysis and really dive in to avoid kind of doing unnecessary work. Um, Because often a lot of times, like stakeholders are going to be looking for things um, more surface level. And as data scientists, we like to kind of dive deep and do cool technical things um but that's always not going to be always necessary um so that's one way to look at it and if you look at it from that framework um then you're really kind of trying to you're okay with leaving a lot in the c bin you're okay with leaving a lot undone but you're going to answer the problem like more quickly um and probably more concisely for your stakeholder Mm -hmm. But then there's also kind of a, the other way to look at it, which is kind of being able to explore your curiosity um, and look into all these different avenues and really deeply understand the problem. So I think looking at the problem that you're given and deciding if it's going to be something that needs more of a minimum viable analysis, look at things, or more of a kind of exploration, um, kind of researchy, curiosity-driven approach and trying to figure out which of those bins or which of the, like which side of the spectrum it kind of leads to, I think can help you um, determine how you want to allocate those percentages and how much work you want to do for A and B and how much work you're comfortable leaving undone for C. I just um, attended a talk from the like director of engineering at Slack. Um, and it was pretty good. And one of the things he said was that engineers, or this applies to data scientists as well, we really just want to impress other data scientists. Um, So it's important to kind of ask yourself and like gut check yourself. Are you, are you trying to impress other data scientists here or are you actually trying to solve this problem in the quickest and most effective way? Just curious, how was your job search process for full-time role? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So I, I got a return offer. So I had that in my back pocket um, and I'm, had an awesome experience at Unity, so I was happy about that. Um, but I also wanted to see what else was out there, so I took a similar approach. I applied to a ton of places. And actually, um, one thing that was interesting here is that I didn't have much success. Like, 
I had a very lower rate of success than I did um, the previous summer because instead of kind of competing with other people in school for these internship roles, um, I kind of moved up a step and was now competing against like other people who had graduate degrees and kind of vying for these entry level data scientist roles. Um, so I think that the field of like competition was a lot bigger, even though there was more roles, I think that my success rate went way down because of that. Um, so I didn't have a ton of success in that job search. I would have to say I was actually surprised by that. Um, it was a lot more difficult than I anticipated. Mm -hmm. Um, which I think that kind of goes to the different paths that data scientists take um, and a lot, of, a lot of reason why I think a lot of data scientists do pursue um, like graduate degrees and other boot camps and other things of that nature because it is so hard um, competing for those kind of baseline data scientist roles. Um, but I had an interview with Squarespace. Um, so I came to New York, I interviewed here, um, and I was really... I was really impressed by the, the work and the people at Squarespace. Um, and so coming down to my decision, I think it was in December, um, it was really tough for me, but at the end of the day, I decided to go with Squarespace um, and I've been pretty happy with it so far. You know, like, let's say for the audience who are not familiar with Squarespace, can you uh, share a brief overview about the company as well, you know, just in very uh, high level, some of the projects that you sort of engage with so far? Yeah, so if you're not familiar with Squarespace, um, it's like an all-in-one CMS content management system. Um, more broadly, I guess it really is there to help you build websites. Um, it's kind of the easy way to look at it. It's a, it's a website builder, essentially. So like more of what I work on is I work on the growth sub-team. So, that involves lots of A-B testing, lots of experimentation, um, working on improving the conversion funnel, trying to see how we can effectively get customers from landing to actually becoming subscribers and using the product. Um, then kind of more broadly, um, really just trying to better understand customer behavior and understand your users from a quantitative and qualitative point of view and see what their journey looks like because um, you can better understand that journey you can make a lot of product changes you can improve value offerings um, you can look at things from a different point of view when it comes to things like marketing and sourcing so I think that it touches a lot of different areas and that's part of the reason why why I enjoy it um, but yeah so it's been a lot of those kind of problems um, that I've been working on for the, these last uh, these last two months or so yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm personally a big fan of Squarespace. You know, I, I build my website using it as well. Um, there's just such a there's just such a variety of templates to choose from. You know, and there's a certain emphasis on on design, obviously, because this is website builder. So that that sort of aesthetic nature of of, of, of the product is also, I think, attractive to a lot of people. You know, not just for personal reason, but also like you know, I see business who want to build a website you know, they can use Squarespace so it seems you know from from the outside looking it's a, it's a really good company to sort of combine between data and, and design and um, yeah I mean it uh, sounds like you're really enjoying it yeah the, the data design trade-off um, is super interesting and something that I 
didn't like fully understand before coming in. Um, but like seeing the contrasting point of view, because traditionally Squarespace is a design-driven company that's becoming more and more data-driven. Um, so looking at kind of the different viewpoints there and kind of bringing them together and trying to create a cohesive vision, I think that's something that I, I really find fascinating and that I've, I've really enjoyed. How do you see the difference of the data science community uh, in New York versus like back in the time out uh, in San Francisco? What's the difference in terms of the, the, the culture, like especially related to data science, the people and you know the type of conversation they're floating around? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, obviously they're both very big cities, both tech hubs. So there's like a seemingly infinite amount of resources out there for you to learn and for you to connect with other people in data science. I think that the biggest difference that I've observed um, being here for about two months is that industries are obviously a bit more diverse here in New York. Um, So whereas in San Francisco, um, pretty much everyone does tech. Um, Everything is tech something, um, which is cool and which is awesome for diving into data science and learning from people and like getting kind of ingrained in the startup and tech culture. Um, so I, I personally, I really into that stuff. I loved it. Um, but New York's a little different in that respect because it's, we have finance here, we have art here. Um, there's like a million different things also kind of intersecting with tech. So when you meet data scientists at conferences or at meetups um, or at different projects or things, um, they're not all working on the same problems. A lot of them, and they're not working on the same industries and they're not working at the same kind of like maturity level of their data science experience for their company. Um, So I think that you have more diverse conversations around data science because of that. Um, In some industries, companies are just starting to heavily adopt data science and it's on the rise. So that's a conversation that you can have. Whereas in San Francisco, data science has been fully embraced um, by all the upcoming tech companies and all the FANG companies. Um, mm-hmm. But that's a conversation that you can have in New York along with the conversation from more established companies um, where data science is kind of a primary focus for them and they've really invested in their, their data science kind of culture and their data science team. What would be your top three advice to ace the data science interview? Yeah, so I've thought about this a lot. Um, and I think that the first thing I would say is you have to gut check your knowledge. So one thing that I, one place that I made a lot of mistakes and one reason where I, one reason that I failed a bunch of interviews that I should have probably passed was because I didn't take an unbiased look at how prepared I was for that interview. So what I would do is I would prepare a bunch. I would do a bunch of lead code questions. I would work through a bunch of data science and statistics questions and I would feel comfortable. But like, if you just look at like the coding point of view, I wouldn't be like maybe testing myself on a whiteboard and like looking at it from a totally unbiased point of view. Um, Because I think it's easy to, convince yourself that you're more ready than you are, especially when you're putting in a lot of work and a lot of hours. Um, you can feel ready, um, but you haven't really taken a step back and putting yourself through the ringer yet. So I think that testing yourself, like rigorously testing yourself, 
um, is really is really useful, and that can be even for the more like behavioral like stuff, like being able to record your answers and listen back to them, um, things like that. Being able to just kind of gut check that, so just kind of like to correct for that bias. So, are you really prepared? Like, are you really ready to pass this interview, or are you convincing yourself that you are? So that was one big thing. The other thing I would say more generally is just kind of make sure you're coding is solid um so you want to make sure your coding is solid so cracking the coding interview whiteboard prep leak code a lot of data science interviews don't emphasize the software engineering process um where you have to think through problems and actually like work through the problem with an interviewer but a lot of them do as well and that's kind of like a very very difficult skill that you have to practice and develop but you can't really like throw that in overnight and, and be ready for the data science interview if they have that software engineering whiteboard step. You have to you have to really prepare for that. That's something that I found was very difficult um, and took up a lot of time for me to for me to get to a point where I was comfortable with that. Right. And lastly, I guess I would say that you should use the product. So if it's a consumer facing product, if you can get your hands on an aspect of what the company that you're interviewing with does, then use the product and use it a lot and take notes. Um, so by using the product, you'll go through these different exercises. If they do case studies for interviewers, then you'll have experience with different problems within the product. And you'll also come up with different ideas and different interesting kind of data science projects that they could be doing, mm -hmm. but might not be doing. Um, so that was one place where I always kind of tried to stand out is by coming up with a couple ideas or projects that I think would be really cool for the product and kind of finding a way to weave those in to the interview to kind of try to sell these few ideas. Um, and if one of them hits, then it's a good way to stand out and a good way to kind of be more memorable than other candidates. So um, you actually recently wrote a piece called 10 Reads for Data Scientists, Getting Started with Business Models. Um, you know, we kind of covered this part earlier in the conversation on, on the importance of like getting buy in from business stakeholders and all that. Um, I'm just curious, and this one is, you know, how, what would be your advice or slash recommendation, say, for, because for, here I kind of assume that, you know, there is some, this is more on the, on the introvert side, you know, what would be some advice on how to get along with like business folks, you know? how to understand the business lingo and kind of, you know, try a good conversation with, you know, like say people from on marketing or people from sales or this, that, et cetera. How, how can, you know, in terms of um, personality wise, you know, how can this, this get better at that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So kind of from a communication personality standpoint, mm -hmm. touching on a couple of those points from earlier, I think that empathy goes like a very, very long way. So whether it's, looking at what they do on a day to day or learning a bit more about them and their job, being able to kind of put yourself in their shoes and see what things matter to them, um, what things they're interested in, what value you can offer. Um, I think that all starts with putting yourself in their shoes and being able to empathize with their role and their situation. So that's, that's probably the biggest thing for me when it comes to communication, like developing that kind of, that empathy muscle um, is really valuable and it takes time, but I think the payoff, um, the payoff is well worth it. 
when you touch on like the lingo and more of the kind of business stuff itself, um, I think this is kind of underrepresented when you look at a lot of the data science material out there, um, blogs, courses, um, newsletters, things like that, because like that was my primary source for kind of getting up to speed was all of those things. And I found that I had a good foundation when it came to like the technical stuff. Um, I felt like I had a good foundation when it came to like stats and machine learning. But when I got into industry, um, especially being in an organization at Squarespace where data science is kind of paired with strategy, which I think that's a pretty common theme um, for a lot of organizations out there, being able to understand business metrics, being able to understand why we do the things we do, how business models work, um, things like that, I think are really underrepresented in the kind of data science skill development process, but they're really, um, really essential once you get into industry and once you begin working with more strategy and analytics type, um, type problems. So I think that's something that, that we can be better at um, as a community and something that's worth emphasizing that other people might not. Awesome. Okay, so let's move on to talk about some of your side project. Okay, so um, you currently working part time with a team at Datacom to design an interactive online course for data science. Can you uh, describe that? Yeah. So DataCamp is an online, um, it's an online interactive learning learning platform for data scientists in particular. Um, so I've been working with them over the last three, four months or so, um, working part-time to develop a course called Preparing for the Statistics Interview um, in Python. So I've really enjoyed this process. Um, I know it's really helped me to communicate these concepts and being able to teach them and being able to hopefully eventually help other people prepare for their interviews. Um, the course itself, it covers probability, exploratory data analysis, um, experimentation and then more statistical modeling kind of baseline machine learning stuff so the the kind of idea behind it is that um, my goal for this is to lay the foundation to cover most of the stuff that you would get in a stats interview within the data science interview and then supplement that with a bunch of interactive coding so that you can not only learn these techniques and be able to apply them in interviews but also and to be able to implement them in side projects and like in more application driven places as well. So that's kind of my goal around it. Um, I've always kind of enjoyed the content of data camp. I know I subscribed for a bit when I was getting up to speed with data science. Um, so I think, I think their stuff's great. If you've ever used free code camp, um, it's essentially a very similar model. Um, the idea is that you learn by doing instead of just watching lectures. So that's something that I find really helps me. Um, and kind of going back to the, the gut checking your knowledge thing, um, having that kind of test or that kind of gut check built in is something that's really helpful. Awesome, yeah. Teaching is, I guess, the best form of learning, right? Oh yeah, it's, it's awesome. That's, that's a lot of the writing you do, um, and I'm sure that's helped you a ton. Um, so you also have a weekly newsletter in which you share interesting stories and links along with um, project Flash articles that you've been working on. Um, you know, what, what's your expectation with this side project? Yeah, so this is, I think, one of the, honestly, one of the best things I did when I was getting started with data science. Um, when I was really committing to data science my sophomore year of college, I started a 
newsletter called Self-Driven Data Science. And basically, um, I would just take all of the content, all of the blog posts, all the courses that I was looking at anyway, and I would take the five ones that I thought were the best throughout the week, and I would just put them in this newsletter and send it out. Um, and as I started writing on Medium more, I would put the newsletter at the bottom. And eventually, people started uh, people started caring a bit more about these links. Um, and you can see this. There's a bunch of data science newsletters out there that take a similar concept. Um, but looking at it from my point of view, I think that it drove me to consistently be looking for new information, be looking for new resources, and kind of it's like it's almost like a forcing function for keeping yourself growing, keeping yourself learning, because you have some deliverable to put out every week. So I think that was really helpful for me to motivate me to keep learning throughout the process. Because um, data science is it's a huge field, it's a broad field, it's it's a complex field, it's difficult to get into, it's difficult to get started with. Um, so having kind of a, a motivating function is really helpful in the same way that writing is really helpful, writing blog posts, um, teaching. That can be a great forcing function for you to understand the things you're learning about. Um, newsletters can be a can kind of take a similar point of view and, and really be helpful. So that's how I started out. Um, since then, it's shifted a little bit. Um, recently, I kind of took a more broad approach with the newsletter. So it doesn't only have data science now. It has things like business, um, self-improvement, any other videos, courses, articles that I liked. Um, so... It's a bit more comprehensive now um, and a bit more broad, but I think that as far as expectations go, um, I just really enjoy sharing out the things that I'm interested in um, in the hopes that other people are interested in the same stuff. Um, so I highly recommend um, newsletters if you're looking for something that's like a forcing function to learn mm -hmm. or if you just find yourself going through a bunch of content each week um, and you think other people might be interested in it. Because chances are um, there's someone out there that's interested in the same stuff that you are. Yeah, so besides your own, what are your top three favorite uh, data science newsletters? Yeah, so I I was like counting um, how many I subscribed to and I think it's I think it's well over fifteen. Um, so there's there's a ton out there. Um, but I think my favorites, the ones that I look forward to, are the data science roundup, data elixir and the analytics dispatch um so those are probably the three that i've liked for the longest um other good ones o'reilly um o'reilly puts out one with like 10 links um and those are normally pretty good and then kind of going back to the business thing if you're into like keeping up with business models and metrics and that kind of thing um stratechery by ben thompson is one that I recently got into like this past year and I've, I've really enjoyed that so far. I'm just curious, do you, do you listen to any sort of data science podcast? So I haven't uh, dove into the podcast as much. Um, I've listened to a couple of years. I've listened to data skeptic. Um, yeah. Probably the one that I've, that I've listened to the most um, is data skeptic. Whenever I wanted to brush up on like a certain concept before an interview, or if I just wanted to learn about something that I've, wasn't super familiar with. Um, I think Data Skeptic's really awesome. And the whole like idea behind it, I think, is just genius. Um, being able to take one party that doesn't fully understand stuff and then taking another party that's like supposedly an expert and kind of like just 
putting that process of teaching and learning all out there um, in the form of a podcast. I think I just think that's brilliant. I want to round out our conversation with uh, one of your most recent medium posts called "Data Scientists Are Thinkers," in which you argue that as a data scientist, curiosity is your north star. So, what are you curious about at the moment? So, what am I curious about at the moment? I think that the big things. Um, I'm always curious about idea sharing. So, this is part of the reason why. I'm I really love what Medium does, um, is that it's a great platform for idea sharing. Um, one thing I've been experiment with, experimenting with over this last month is getting a little bit more involved in Twitter. I hadn't really used Twitter that actively um, prior. I would just kind of use it as a forum to like share things that I thought were interesting, um, and then I would go back and use that forum uh, to later inform my newsletter. Um, but lately, I've been kind of learning to share more ideas on Twitter, and I put a bunch of ideas in like my Evernote notebook throughout the day. Um, but those just kind of live there, and they don't really get shared out with anyone. So I've been experimenting with sharing out more of those the short form ideas in the hopes that it might be helpful to someone. Um, aside from that, I think that one thing I'm super curious about right now is development. So. Obviously, it's not going to be completely aligned with data science, but I think that developing kind of like a software development, more engineering skill set can complement my data science skill set really well. Um, and then eventually, I want to be able to kind of build out projects that can help people and kind of be able to grow them and provide value. So teaching myself software full stack development is something that I've, I've been working on for a bit. And I'm sure if you, if you follow my newsletter or if you follow me on social media, you'll you'll see me talking about that a fair bit now. Great. So at this part of our conversation, we're gonna move on to the closing segment, in which you know uh, I'm gonna ask you a couple of three quick fire questions, in which you can share uh, tactical resources for the people who um, looking forward to to get them. Um, the first question is that. What are the companies which are doing exceptional data science work that you admire? Yeah, so here you have a lot of the a lot of the big names. Um, I particularly like all of the companies that put out their data science work in the form of a company blog. Um, I love seeing that. So companies like Netflix, um, Uber, uh, Stitch Fix does a great job. They all have excellent data science blogs. Um, you should all check out if you haven't seen those before. Um, so those are probably the, the big names. And then also you have obviously places like Facebook um, with like the profit package and Spotify with Luigi, um, all these companies that are releasing open source frameworks or packages um, that can that can be used and be kind of applied elsewhere. I think that's, that's really aspirational. Um, if you go beyond those kind of big name companies, I think that... One thing I've been thinking about is kind of size of company. So if you look at very small companies, um, a lot of time is going to be spent on infrastructure and data engineering. If you look at big, really big companies, a lot of time is being spent on very specialized, very kind of granular problems. Um, but somewhere in the like, sweet spot in the middle, um, you have companies that have infrastructure built out, and then they're also tackling really common, like widely applicable widely applicable like problems like 
customer engagement or customer value or forecasting, um, different things like that, that in attribution, things like that, that apply to like most companies out there. Um, but they're tackling those in like new and unique ways. So that's something that I always keep an eye on. Um, and I find super interesting. What is one book that you would recommend for people who want to develop a better analytical mindset? So as far as a book I would recommend, um, I'm sure a lot of your listeners have already read it, but thinking fast and slow is probably number one for me. Um, it's just kind of mind boggling stuff that a lot of what you do, especially in data science, um, there's a million different biases that affect your decision making. Um, and kind of being aware of these biases, I think, I think is a great hack, um, for having a better analytical mindset and being more unbiased and being better at decision making. So I would say thinking fast and slow is, is the big one for me. Imagine that you can send out a tweet to all the aspiring data scientists on Twitter. What could you tweet about? So I would definitely tweet about imposter syndrome. This is something that I definitely struggled with um, and still struggle with it. I think a lot of people in the field do. The aspect that we're all just figuring it out and that nobody really knows what they're doing. Um, everyone's spending half their time Googling like how to append a list on Stack Overflow, like it's fine. Um, senior data scientists are doing the same thing. Um, I think a lot of people out there like to kind of try to bin data scientists, like you have to do X, Y, and Z to be a quote unquote real data scientist. Um, or if you're not familiar with this tool, or if you don't use big data, then you're not a data scientist. Um, there's all these kind of stigmas out there. And I think that those reinforce the idea that like, data scientists should be this kind of wall garden and that you should feel like a tourist or an imposter um, if you can't do these certain things. Um, and it's hard because it, it's such a broad field that nobody knows everything. So that you're always going to have some weaknesses. So it's easy to feel like you don't belong. Um, but I would definitely reemphasize the fact that once you have that foundation built and once you're providing value, then it's okay to feel like you belong. Um, I know me when I was starting out, probably up until like this past year, I, I was like hesitant to even call myself a data scientist. I would, I would have like aspiring data scientists in my bio line. Um, but looking back, I think that's actually kind of silly. Um, I should have just embraced the fact that I was a data scientist. Um, and that I was capable and that I belonged. Um, so that's the biggest thing I would say is, is look out for imposter syndrome um, and, and know that uh, know that it's not always going to be true. That nobody really knows. It's, it's going to be okay. <laughs> All right, sweet. Connor, um, I think that's a, that's a great um, conclusion to, to our, our long conversation. Uh, I really enjoy you know, learning about your experience um, um, throughout this whole data science journey and what I really appreciate is the fact that you consistently uh, sharing your experience. That's, that's, that's the most important part because, you know, people can um, look at your journey and empathize and, and see how, you know, um, they, they can do the same thing, you know, uh, given the resources and, and time and they have. So, yeah, I mean, really enjoying learning about some uh, internship experience, sharing advice on how to prepare for interview. Uh, I'm looking forward to see some of your uh, upcoming um, newsletter and writing uh, in the future. And, you know, best of luck with uh, some of the stuff you're working on. 
Yeah, thank you. Um, I love the podcast. I'm looking forward to, uh, to continuing to follow it and, and learning some more about some of the more uh, data scientists out there. Well, that's the wrap for another episode of Datacast. Hopefully, you have learned something insightful and interesting from my guest today. You can read the show notes from the podcast website at datacast.simplecast.fm. If you want to get instant updates when a new episode is released, either follow me on Twitter or subscribe to my newsletter on my website, jameskelly.com. It is my greatest pleasure that you listen to this podcast and take advantage of the data revolution coming upon us. Goodbye for now. 